0: I'm Carrie, and I'm Amy and you are listening to The Perks of Being a Book Lover. This is a show where two friends chat about books and reading with another book lover and we find book lovers everywhere. Talking about books is one of our favorite things to do besides having a weekend retreat with our book club friends where we ate and we drank and we laughed a lot and it was a lot of fun
1: and we'll talk about that more in a moment, we may be a little biased in thinking that reading people are the coolest people. So in this week's episode, we talked to our favorite bookseller, Sam Miller from Carmichael's Books, about the holiday gift-giving season. You've probably heard the warning to shop early this holiday season because of shortages. So we're giving you the gift of new book ideas for all the
0: book lovers in your life. We love inviting Sam on the show twice a year to tell us about books to look forward to for summer reading and the winter holiday gift buying. She gives us suggestions in all the different categories. But first. So we had quite the weekend. Yep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so this was our third book club retreat. Our book club has been around six around 16 years. Something like and... That four years ago, we decided it would be fun to have a yearly book club retreat for people who wanted to go. We just go in the fall and find a cool house or cabin somewhere and do a whole lot of nothing except for drink and eat and laugh and just have fun with each other. And so we didn't do it last year, but we did do it this year. It was a lot of fun. And I caught Carrie bonding with a dog on her lap, even though she's a cat person. And I was a little concerned she might try to put that dog in her
0: bag and take it home. <laughs> I would have. I would have. Uh, he was very sweet. He was a snuggle bug and, you know, just small and chill and not a yipper or a barker. And he was like a cat-like dog. So... Yeah, yes. I could have he, taken him home.
1: He He's also 10 years old. I bet that he maybe wasn't quite as chill when he was a puppy.
0: Probably, probably. Yeah. He was very fun and very. he kept me very warm, which is nice. So <laughs> I wanted to give you an update for anybody who cares. I have finished all the books that Amy overwhelmed me with for November. I finished the interview book. And then, oh yeah, I finished The Princess Bride for the podcast recording. And I finished our book club. Now I do have some short stories that I need to read for the speed reading club, book reading club. I've got some time in their short stories, So I, I am feeling much, much less stressed. And now the problem is, is I'm going well, what do I want to read now? You know, I was, I was spent so much time complaining about what I had to read that now I'm like, well, what do I want to read? Now, now that I Now see,
1: time? I am so overwhelmed with all these things and see not even a week later and you're like, oh, I'm done. And now uh, what do I,
0: now what am I going to do? I know, you know, I'm not as stressed. So that's the thing. Like I can get it done. It's not that I can't get it done. I just don't like that feeling of, having too much you know oh I get it have we mentioned I'm not an extra person I don't like extra anything but the
1: thing is if you're never stressed at all then you don't feel that relief right like it's always a good feeling when you're like "Ah, okay I've got that done and now I can read whatever I want but if you could read whatever you want all the time you wouldn't have that euphoria feeling for a minute
0: yeah I'm okay with that
1: oh (laughs)
0: Right with that <laughs> euphoria is overrated it only lasts a short time
1: i haven't done yoga in i don't know probably six months or so but when i went to yoga one of the yoga teachers that i um, did classes with at the end before you do what they call the corpse pose which is basically just like your last relaxation pose where you're basically just laying on your back flat she would always suggest people to curl up into a ball, like as tight as you could, like as tense as you could, and then release it. And that some people really like that feeling. And I think it's the same thing. I sort of like that stress of having to do those things. And then when it's done, there's like this, not a high, but like this really good feeling of calm that I get. But I don't know that I would have it all the time if I... Right. But I know you're not built like that.
0: I, I mean, I do get that when I do yoga. but I enjoy that, but I think mental stress is different from from a yoga pose. Okay,
1: all right. You're you're dissing my you're dissing I, my yoga I, analogy. No, no, no,
0: no, no. I get what you're saying. I, I get what you're saying. For me, it's like I want to get things off my plate. Yeah, and I want to check them off, and I can do that. But if that goes on too long, then It's almost like by the time I get it done, then I'm sort of at loose ends. It's like I have these leftover frazzled feelings, so.
1: But there's one more thing of note on our book club retreat. One of the members of our book club is really, really interested in the Enneagram. And... The Enneagram, for people who aren't familiar with it, it's sort of like a personality categorization tool. Do you think I'm describing that right? Yeah, I think so. And so you can take free tests online that will, you know, ask you different questions and will give you a number from one to nine that most describes your, it's more about motivations, I think. Um, with the Enneagram. It's similar in the kind of test when Meyer Briggs, I would right, say. right, um, So anyway, you and I both took the test and you came up as a five. I mm-hmm. came up as a nine. And when we were reading about it, apparently fives and nines can be a really good team. They can. And we are. Yeah. I appreciate your Uh, your intellect. You keep me on track. And I sort of need you to do that for me because otherwise sometimes I have, (laughs) I get a little too excited about things (laughs) as evidenced by all the books you had to read in November.
0: But you bring, if it was up to me, I would never do anything even remotely interesting. I would stay in my house and read books and be like, no, nah, I don't need to do that. No, nah, I don't need to do that. So you were sort of the the kick in the pants that <laughs> that gets me out of my comfort zone. So that's good too.
1: So for for anybody out there who uh, is into enneagrams and if you know anything about fives or nines, DM us. I need to know more. <laughs> Our, oh, I did want to mention first part of this episode. I think that the audio is pretty good. In the second half, my crazy neighbor is i don't know if he's blowing his leaves or he's power washing his deck or i don't know he's constantly (laughs) outside because his wife won't let him smoke in the house anyway there is some background noise in the second half of this episode
0: and i apologize i think listeners will be so focused on sam and her funny commentary and her great book suggestions that they won't even notice that
1: Good segue, Carrie. Thank you. That's what I'm here for.
0: (laughs) Let's listen to Sam. Okay. Hey, Sam. Hey, Carrie. We've got our favorite bookseller here in the house. So Sam, it's a few days before Halloween
1: that we're recording this, but we're going to start talking about the holidays because of the 2021 book supply chain fiasco. So we're going to talk about the holidays early, because everybody needs to start their holiday shopping. Yes,
2: Amy, you're absolutely 110% right. And it's not just books. You've probably heard it uh, on the national news and the local newspaper, et cetera, about all sorts of things. Because thanks to COVID and lots of other small factors, the supply chain for almost everything is not very robust right now. So there are lots of things trapped in container ships. (laughs) There are lots of things that need to be printed in other countries and they don't have paper or they don't have cardboard to send it. So there's lots and lots of issues, not just for books, but for retail all over. So yes, the best advice is to, if you know what you want, buy it now or pre-order it now so you make sure that you have it. And if you don't do that, be flexible about what the perfect gift might look like a little later on.
1: So what's your experience been with this so far?
2: Well, it's real, one. It's uh-huh. not just like, oh, the uh, media hype. talking mm-hmm. about whatever. It's real. And it's already happening, uh, even on just basic things that aren't holiday staples, that aren't big new titles, just basic books that you would assume, oh, our distributor's going to have that. It's probably going to be just two or three business days. And then you look it up and it's like, oh, actually, they're waiting for a publisher reprint. So I have no idea how long that's going to take. So it's already happening. I mean, obviously we all live through 2020 and we know about those grocery trips where you're going to get those staples and that staple isn't there. Remember the toilet paper and all that (laughs) stuff? It's kind of the same thing. It's like there are still things that there are gaps where whatever it is, it's just not available right now. So... You just have to figure out a workaround. Yeah. So
1: with all of that in mind,
0: what are some literary fiction, historical fiction, fantasy, sci fi, holiday reads, mystery, thriller, nonfiction cookbooks, graphic novels, kids' books, Kentucky authors. Where would you like to start? <laughs> I'll take literary fiction for five hundred <laughs>
2: Because this first gives me the chance to talk about my book of the year, which I believe I may have hinted at the last time I was on this lovely podcast. But it is called Small Things Like These. And it's by Claire Keegan, who is an Irish writer. And it's a very small novella. It's barely over 100 pages. It's set at Christmas, but it is certainly not a warm and fuzzy Christmas book. But it's about a time in this man's life where a piece of knowledge is made available to him and he has to make a decision about what the right thing to do is. And it's one of those points where there's the right thing to do or there's the easy thing to do. And if you do the right thing, it's going to affect the rest of your life forever. And you have to make a decision right now. And it makes for very compelling fiction, those moments in life. You come to a fork in the road and you have to make a call. And this is one of those. And it's beautifully written. And you can read it just a couple of hours. But it's very powerful and it sticks with you. I've read it like three times now. It's oh, terrific.
0: Wow. That might be a book you could read for the holidays, Carrie. Uh, yes, I, I will do that. Don't do like you did on the Alex Hero book and read it before me. I'm reading this one first.
2: <laughs> I did bring them a copy, but only a single copy. So, so, so she's going to fight over her. It might have to
0: be a jump ball situation.
2: <laughs> Another book that I've read that can totally vouch for, which is terrific, and people may have some resistance to, which I understand, they may be saying, Sam, I can't read a book about the pandemic. Especially a book about the pandemic set in Minneapolis, of all places. But I will say to you, what if it's set in a bookstore? Mm. Oh, What if there's a ghost, a a regular customer who refuses to go away? What if there are fully realized, beautifully written indigenous characters?
1: Mm.
2: What if it's written by a Pulitzer Prize winner and a National Book Award winner? Oh,
1: is this Louise Eerdrick's new book? It is. Oh, I guess (laughs) it (laughs) is.
2: And it's called The Sentence, and it's available next week, and it is fantastic. And I highly, highly recommend it, even though I, like a lot of people... See the word, you know, pandemic novel, and you're like, oh. "We're just
1: barely on a path to normal." Exactly.
2: Yeah, but it's such a fascinating look at the crazy that was 2020, and she's a master. There's no other word for it. So it's
1: fantastic. Cool. Well, you sold me on that one. Oh, a ghost. You can a bookstore. read that one. <laughs> okay, I'll read that one.
2: Another one that we love at Carmichael's uh, because we love Dave Eggers all the time, but his new book is called The Every. And it's a sequel or follow-up companion to his novel, The Circle, which was kind of like a Facebook-y type social media company, if you remember that one, which is obviously in the news right now. But what he's done because he wanted to give some loves to indies is the hardcover is only available at independent bookstores. Oh, I cool. heard about that. If you this. want a hardcover, you have to come to an indie bookstore. And to sweeten the pot even more, there are multiple covers available. So, depending on what time you buy it at what independent bookstore, the covers are going to look completely different. Oh, that's cool. Now, he was able to pull this off with his contract by making the paperback available to other places, including the giant A that we do not <laughs> <Yeah>. name. <laughs> right. But independent bookstores will have the paperback as well but if you want a hardcover which is you know makes for a great gift you have to come to an independent bookstore to get it so thank you Dave Eggers for that love for the indies
0: I think that would be very cool for other writers to adopt you know if they can work that into agreed. not everybody
2: has their the same clout well that's right but yes I agree and I appreciate him looking for a way to you know work that around yeah Mm -hmm. and you know god bless the Dave Eggers uh, completists who are going
1: to want to buy every single (laughs) cover (laughs) I wonder how much It cost to have that many covers done
2: and just logistics at the warehouse because it's not like you get a single box of one cover you get a mixed box every single time so that adds an additional level of difficulty at the warehouse too Mm. i'm sure and they're probably not loving him (laughs) (laughs) uh historical fiction there's also a couple of interesting things that we're looking forward to and that are featured in our holiday catalog gail jones is a kentucky author who's taken like a little bit of hiatus from writing, like a 20 plus years Mm -hmm. hiatus from writing. And this is her new novel, Palmares, and it's set 17th century colonial Brazil. So she's a Kentucky author. She is. But she's like, like on the down low, not a large social media presence. Like I said, hasn't written anything new for a long time. Lots of people have rediscovered her earlier works have been republished recently. So yeah, it was a very pleasant surprise to know that she had something new Also, in historical, there's a new Outlander book. Tell the Bees I'm Gone is coming soon. So people who've been waiting and waiting and waiting for the new one will be very happy. What number is that? Like, I read the first one. 47. (laughs) I think it's like nine. No,
1: I think it's more than that. I don't know. I'm not. Know. I'm not an Outlander reader, so I don't know the exact number. I thought it was double digits, though. It, it may be. Like Carrie, I have read the first one, and I really enjoyed it. But I'm just not a series reader, and they're they're big. They're... Well, she's a historian, and I feel like you
2: know she wants
1: you know her research to be in there. Mm-hmm. And
2: I hear she does the blending very well, and it's not like extraneous facts that really have nothing to do with things. But I feel like she does want to put it in there. Yeah. Number nine is what it says. Okay,
0: oh.
1: you won. Great mm-hmm. job. I just listened to a podcast that was talking about that recently, and they were wondering how well this book was going to do because it had been such a long hiatus since her first one and that people may have forgotten what happened, you know, but don't want to go back and read all of them, so might be interesting to see but I have a couple friends who are diehard fans and I know that they will be buying it.
2: Well we have lots of reserves for it so I know that there are lots of anxious people and I don't know if those people are anxiously rereading or if they're just like going to recaps on the internet like
1: oh yeah that's where we were. <laughs> Last time we talked a little bit about all the historical fiction novels having the pictures of the backs of women. Is that still is that still a thing? It's still a thing. That really irks me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm of two minds like I appreciate that there's a visual code. Mm. But I, right. it works as a bookseller, especially, but yeah, it's, it kind of feels like too, counterintuitive if the purpose of the story is to put women in the center of the story. Why are they featureless? Right. Right. Or why do we see their back?
1: I just caught on to the whole visual code of, well, if the cover looks like this, then it's probably a book that's like this. Like, where'd you go Bernadette? That bright color, not cartoon, but I don't know how you would describe it. But other books that are sort of like that, where you have a quirky character and there's a little bit of humor, all have that same sort of looking cover.
2: Well, it's interesting, too, when you notice it opens your eyes to lots of things. Like the sci fi author T.J. Clune, who wrote mm-hmm. House in the Cerulean Sea. His books, they look like middle grade books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This, the font is very middle grade. The images are very bright. And they totally look like middle grade books. And when they first showed up, it was like, you just want to take them to the kids section. They're not. But I feel like that reflects what's inside very well because mm-hmm. of the magical element and because of the vibrancy of the books. Mm-hmm. So I found that was a very interesting choice.
0: All right. What about fantasy and sci-fi?
2: Well, you know, there's always Dune.
1: There
2: is. <laughs> yeah, there is always Dune. And that is something we have lots of. Although there are a million different... Formats for Dune right now. But yes, if you've not read it and you see the movie and you feel like, what just happened? Or I would like to know more detail, or I can't wait for part two and I would like to get a peep about what might happen in part two, we've got plenty of
0: copies of Dune. I've read that one. But now I will say my husband and daughter went to see the movie, but he said the movie only goes to like a very small section of. The first book. That's not even the best part. I have not seen the movie yet. I have been told that if I watch it on a small screen, I am an idiot. But <laughs> you know. So I'm curious, uh, Sam. Have you seen a spike in people buying Isaac Asimov's Foundation because of the show? That's a great question, and we have not. Mm-hmm. But that's a great adjacent recommendation
2: if. The person you're buying for already has read Dune or has got Dune covered. That would be a great suggestion for another classic that's similar in world building and scope.
0: Have you watched it? Yeah, we're watching it right now. Now, I have only read the first book of the Foundation series. But I was like, none of this happens in the book, right? And he was (laughs) like, yeah. But for me, I feel differently about Foundation. Like, I'm not as committed to Foundation as I am to Dune. One of the changes that I do like about Foundation is that a lot of the characters... In the book are male, like they're all guys, and in the show, they've switched it, and a lot of the major characters are females in the show. So I do kind of like that. So any other? We totally sci- got <laughs> off track here. Yeah, yeah Cloud okay. Cuckoo
2: Land. The new Ooh, oh, Anthony yeah. Doerr. It's kind of hard to really categorize, but sci-fi fantasy sounds like the best spot to put it because it's got a Greek fable, 15th century Constantinople, 1950s Korea, and a future space traveler all in one book, all wrapped up in a fabulous story. I've not read it myself, but for all the people who loved All the Light You Cannot See, this is a completely different side of him, but yet it's the same
0: great writing. So people have been gobbling this one up. Has he published anything between All the Light and this one, or is that it? No. He okay. had novels previous, Okay, but this is the follow-up. Okay. And this, I mean, that's a hard book to follow up. Agreed. Because it was
2: and amazing. I- I applaud him for going in a completely different direction. I'm sure the publisher was like, hey, got any more World War II fiction for us? (laughs) Uh But no, something completely
1: new. And it's kind of genre-blowing, too. So good for him. Yeah, that's very cool. He decided to do something completely different because it's unlikely that he would have been able to top All the Light You Cannot See.
2: Or or maybe he could have written a book that it says good, but the phenomenon, that's really hard to have more than one time, I think, in your career as an author. Right. Right. All right, all uh, there's also a sci-fi one that's dark which might be up your alley carrie our sci-fi guru at the store jonathan loves this one it's called mordu by alex phoebe it's a dark fantasy about a city built on the top of god's corpse Ooh! Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> i thought you might like that <laughs> that sounds wicked cool there's some talking animals there's a whole bunch going on so yeah huh. for people who like Weird world building. I think
1: that would be a good one. But. Weird world building. That needs to be like a new category in the bookstore. <laughs>
2: it's hard to say quickly, though. <laughs> and then the next category we usually like to talk about is beach reads, which is normally isn't a big thing in December. Normally, right. like the, the Christmas yeah. warm fuzzy is kind of like that seasonal. Mm-hmm. But I did discover this summer, which was super great. One of the rarest unicorns to find as a bookseller is a well-written literary fiction feel-good book.
1: Mm -hmm. Because either
2: it's too sweet. I can name like five or six that I go to all the time, none of which are very new. That people, sometimes we refer to them as grandma books. It's like, you know, a general interest book that is going to satisfy a wide swath of readers. But I found a new one, except it's 90 years old. (laughs) (laughs) But last year during the pandemic, some famous British authors were asked what book they were recommending for people to read as a self-soother. One of the ones that kept coming up over and over, and it's been republished for its 90th anniversary, is one called A Fortnight in September, hmm. and it's by J.C. Sheriffs. He was also a Hollywood scriptwriter. He wrote the got an Academy Award nomination for writing the screenplay for Goodbye, Mr. Chips. Hmm. But he was also a novelist, and literally, it's just what the title says. It's a book about a family, uh, a middle-class British family that goes to the seaside for two weeks in September. That's the entirety of the plot. (laughs) But it's so well-written. It's so beautiful. And each of the four family members have something else going on in their life. You know, they have stresses at work. They have stresses at school. They're just graduated. They don't know what they're going to do with their life. And so all of those are examined through each family member's eyes. And it's just just wonderful you know it's 90 years old so things are becoming very unsettled in Europe so there's that aspect of it Uh, there's the aspect of the children growing up and maybe this will be the last time they take this family vacation which they've continued to do at this place that's getting more and more run down because it's like they can't stop going there They, they don't want to break that tradition they want to keep going back even though it's not quite the same as it was when they started and it's just gorgeous and I love it. And I love having that new tool in the belt to recommend to people who were looking for that kind of unicorn of a, just a good, feel-good book. It's not a romance. It's not a
0: genre. It's just a good, feel-good book. So I I need to know, what are your other four or five books that you keep in your back pocket? Well,
2: you know, Jim the Boy, okay, of course. Okay, I figured that was Which was, was my one. favorite. And then The Storied Life of A.J. Fickery, mm-hmm. which is also set in a bookstore, which is a good one because it has lots of... There's a little bit of romance. There's an orphan left on the doorstep. And there's a little bit of a uh, friendship story. And there's, you know, it's kind of like a good mixed bag of a lot of different things. So those are some of the ones that I generally go to when someone says that. But if they've read those, then you're just like, no.
1: <laughs> I have one that might fit that bill that I'll talk about when we talk about what we're reading. Fabulous. Mm-hmm.
2: I'm always looking for a new mm-hmm. one of those. Because like I said, that's just a very narrow track. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's, it's nice to have some new ones.
0: So are there any... Even though this isn't my jam, are there any holiday reads, like specifically christmas Hanukkah, kwanzaa e New Year's, whatever other holidays there are
2: books? And they're like, yeah, you're expanding. Well, what what I'm looking forward to as someone who does celebrate Christmas, there's one called First Christmas by Stephen Mitchell, who's a theologian and writer and also an occasional poet. But what he's done is try to bring the Nativity story fully to life and place it historically, accurately in the time it took place. If you know your Bible at all, you know the Nativity story is just a few paragraphs in two Gospels. And that's all there is. Everything else has been embellishment. Christmas Carol writers adding a thing here. TV makers writing, you know, adding another character here or there. But literally the Nativity thing is just a couple of paragraphs. So he has made an entire volume that tells the whole story through the Gospels, but also puts it in the historical perspective. And I've not seen it yet, but I'm really looking forward to it because I'm very curious how he's going to do that. Hmm. I'm also intrigued because apparently the burrow or the donkey has a big part in it, so I'm I'm
0: interested to see how that's going to play out. Hmm. Now that is a Christmas book that I could do because it's based in history. Right. And yeah, I, I could do that one. And burrows. Who can exactly can't right. go wrong with burrows. Exactly right. So I think that that
2: could be, especially for folks who, you know, sometimes uh, decry the commercialization of Christmas and they'd like to see more Jesus and less Santa. I think that would be a great recommend for a person like that.
0: So I have to throw this out here. Amy asked, you know, are there any Christmas books are you going to do? Because we both do Halloween-y reads and I rolled my eyes at her, (laughs) but it made me think about uh, an author we talked about last Christmas uh, when we did this, which was Andrew Schaefer, his secret Santa book was just coming out and so I couldn't remember the title so I was googling
1: and Andrew's a humorist and so you know nothing he writes is very serious yeah. you know for listeners who may not know right. anything about his work
0: anyway but I discovered doing a google search of Andrew Schaefer that he has a Christmas holiday book that has my name written all over it <laughs> are you now, gonna make me bleep you yes <laughs> okay I'm gonna make you bleep me this book I am looking at Carmichael's website right now it's called It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like This, a Humorous Holiday Anthology. That sounds divine. So I think I will be getting that one. And that will be my Christmas holiday read.
1: Carrie, do you remember the year in book club when I picked for our December book Holidays on Ice by David Sedaris, yes. which I think is a very cute, funny book book but it's also not your typical like it's not like warm fuzzy
0: Christmas stories I mean it's was I the only person who liked it everybody
1: hated it (laughs) how could you hate David Sedaris because they were wanting they were wanting they were wanting Hallmark Channel they (laughs) were wanting Hallmark Channel and this is not it they didn't take well to it at all and so now I've become much more particular about who I recommend that book to I'll say do you like Hallmark movies at Christmas time (laughs) (laughs) Do you love
0: Christmas? Okay. In that case, I can't recommend what I was thinking about recommending to you. So if you don't love the holidays, maybe check check out that book. Although I did discover also on Carmichael's website a book called It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Zombies, a book of zombie Christmas carols. So if zombies are your jam, that might be the way to go.
1: We're all about quirky holiday guests
2: here. (laughs)
0: I just can't wait to hear Jingle Brains.
2: <laughs> 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 All right. Okay. Speaking of dark things,
0: mystery, <laughs> segue. mystery
2: is normally one of the things we like to talk about, too. And a dark, super dark thing that's coming out in that section of the store is called Never Saw Me Coming by Vera Curran It's a debut novel, and it's a very interesting premise. There's a college study of psychopaths and... Then something bad starts happening to the students in this class of psychopaths.
1: (laughs) Can't imagine. So, yes, super dark. I mean, is it on purpose that there's a class full of psychopaths? Yes. I mean, (laughs) okay, they're 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 being studied. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And then some Uh, bad things start happening, as
2: you know, as as would happen, unsurprisingly. So, yeah. Yeah. But if you like your mysteries super dark. That would be a great one to Would this also
1: fit into, like, dark academia? Because is it like a school? Or are there just people who are being studied, so... I think there's not probably not a lot of cloaks in
2: it. And I feel like you have to have some cloaks in dark (laughs) academia. I'm not exactly sure of the genre guidelines, but... There has to be a
0: dean at some point exactly right
2: okay. um also uh coming for this christmas silverview by uh, john le carré so his swan song for the espionage spy thrillers in your family that would be a great one because he passed away this year yes he right. did mm-hmm. um and then there's also otto pensler who is the owner of the mysterious bookshop he often edits mystery anthologies has a new one called the big book of victorian mysteries so if you're the person you're buying for has exhausted every single possible sherlock holmes that would be a great one to do and it's nice and big. So it's nice to tuck into a big anthology on a subject that you love. Victorian, that's kind of a dark, creepy, gothic period. Yes. And as a the companion to that, which I've been enjoying heartily and have read it aloud to unsuspecting coworkers many times, <laughs> your guide to not getting murdered in a quaint English village, <laughs> which is like it sounds a humor book that has cute cartoons, but it's kind of like if... Alfred Gorey, who illustrated famously the you know the characters on the masterpiece mystery cartoons that start the, that show. If he wrote a humor book, that's kind of what this would be. But it's hysterically funny. And it's perfect if you have a, a PBS pledge tote that your cat likes to nap in. This is probably the humor <laughs> book for you. Or if you've ever argued in a pub about Agatha Christie's greatest detective. Yeah, this is definitely the humor say, book for you. for all
0: Agatha Christie lovers out exactly there. Exactly right. That might but be, it's so funny. That might be one for my mom. Like she is a mystery buff. She loves mysteries. She's read oh, Hercule Poirot. I, th- I think and... so, Carrie. Okay. All right.
2: It has a great part where it's introducing you to all the points in the village and for it's a, and it says Village Green. Why is it so squishy? <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my favorite things to read about. But it's hysterically funny and perfect for like a small gift, especially like a, like a hostess gift. Like it's going to cut a wide
1: swath as far as making people laugh. Cool. What about... Nonfiction for all those people who aren't that into fiction. These are usually nice gifts to give to people who you don't know if they like to read or not. You know, they're more universal type gifts. So, what you got for that? There's lots of uh, nonfiction. So many great things coming out. It's hard to narrow
2: down. One of my favorites, if you like memoirs, or the one called Smile. It's by a playwright. Her name is Sarah Rule. And I was unfamiliar with her work before I read it, but it's a medical story. She was pregnant with twins. It was a geriatric pregnancy that was quite dangerous, and she was able to carry the twin successfully. But almost immediately after she gave birth, she got Bell's palsy. So half of her face was paralyzed. And so this book is about her, you know, 10 plus years journey with Bell's palsy and how to navigate the world as a new mother, as an artist, as a working woman, when you can't express yourself through your face. Oh, wow. Especially in her field where she's a playwright. So imagine going to a dress rehearsal, the actors are performing for you and they're looking at you and your face is completely frozen. Right. Or you have a new baby and you can't interact with them the same way another mother would because your face is frozen. And she writes about it so beautifully and wonderfully because she's an amazing writer. Uh, it's one of the best, like, medical memoirs, illness journey stories that I've ever read.
1: And there's also the whole issue about society expecting women to smile. Oh, absolutely. And she dives deeply into that about how, just literally how people
2: don't behave around her the same way they used to because she's not smiling. She's unca- She can't smile. So people are trying to joke with her, men who are trying to pick her up. Like, it's a completely interesting take on how much of that is taking from facial expression wow. and how much you communicate that way. It's really uh, terrific. Mm-hmm. There's also, if the person you're buying is an animal lover, mm. like you, mm-hmm. um, Rick Bragg has a new book ca- out called The Speckled Beauty, which is about his dog, <laughs> Speck. Um, and Speck is the worst dog ever. So, it, I mean, he's truly terrible. The, the the things Speck has gotten up to and the, the time that he's been adopted by Rick Bragg is amazing. And it's amazing that they literally have not killed him because... <laughs> Talk about an infuriating dog. But he's also wonderful. And it's one of those great stories about, you know, who rescued who. Because in the time that he has had Spec, Bragg has, you know, had cancer. Multiple family members have passed away. There's been a pandemic. So, you know, it, he was kind of a godsend in the form of a terrible, terrible dog. Uh, and Rick Bragg is like one of the most fabulous memoirs around as far as I'm concerned, especially when it comes to things like unearned grace or family relations trucks, mamas. Yeah. He writes about all those things really great. Yeah. So it's it's, it's a fantastic one for the
1: animal lover on your list. Cosign. I've already read it. <laughs> uh, well, I listened to it on audio, which is, and I talk about this on a future episode, but it was such a treat. Any, listening to any book that he narrates is such a treat. Agreed. It's like you're just sitting on his front porch. Did I tell lemonade. you about the
2: time that I got pulled over when listening to his book, The Prince of Frogtown?
1: No. It's when I lived in Ann Arbor and
2: the part I was crying about is his, his relationship with his stepson, and he was going on about it so beautifully. I was driving, and I got to crying so hard that the police officer pulled me over because he was afraid that something was terribly wrong. And so I'd explained to him that I was perfectly fine, I was just listening to a really moving and sad audiobook, and he's like, well, maybe you should listen to something else while you're driving. <laughs> so I'm like, yes, officer. <laughs> It was really good. Also nonfiction, which I'm sure we're going to sell lots of and definitely going to be one that you want to get your copy early if you're interested. Speaking of great podcasts, the podcasts of Renegades. So the Springsteen Obama Mm -hmm. podcast book is coming out for Christmas. So it has lots of segments illustrated, lots of lavish photographs of their podcast conversations. So that would be a great one for a lot
1: of people. (laughs) I didn't even know they had a podcast. I didn't either. They do. I only keep track of book podcasts, apparently. I don't know about very well, many others. Well, I think others, they talk but... about
2: books quite a bit, actually. Oh. They're both big readers. But they talk about a lot of things, obviously. Mm. Music, politics, government, being, what being Americans all about, that kind of
1: stuff. Well, there's a double recommendation for the podcast and for the book. There, there you go. go.
2: Another big one that we've already reserved lots of copies of, I don't know it's going to be something that you want to give to everybody on your list because it is controversial even before it's been published, is the 1619 Project Mm. by the New York Times Magazine. If you're not familiar with that project, it refocuses American history based on 1619, which was the year the first enslaved people came to this country, uh, which is a way history is taught that's not that well known, at least in the way we've been taught to date. So lots of people have been interested in that one and they've been asking for the book ever since the very first article that was a year and a half ago. So the book is finally coming out for Christmas. It's beautiful. There's also a picture book for younger readers that is coming out at the same time as well. That's beautifully illustrated. So again, not for everybody on the list, but one that we're keenly looking forward to.
0: That's the one to get for the uncle that wears a certain red hat, right? Exactly right. Exactly right.
2: Um, also, the book that we wanted last Christmas that didn't exist exists now. Which, for Schitt's Creek's fans, oh, it's it's coming out. So it's called Best Wishes, Warmest Regards. <laughs>
1: and what is it memories of the show exactly it's like okay. a big coffee
2: table celebration okay. of the show it's got lots of photographs okay script, you know some scripts of some key episodes that sort of thing mm-hmm. lots of come, interviews
1: does it come with a wig like more <laughs> it doesn't. Really? I,
2: I feel like that is a, a possible miss they could have had like a special gift box with some props yeah
1: some. well you know i always ask about cookbooks yes are there any good cookbooks coming there
2: are Kind of cookbook adjacent, uh, Stanley Tucci has a new book called Mm -hmm. Taste, Mm -hmm. which does offer some recipes, but it's also a lot of memoir and it's a lot of writing about how food has been important in his life, uh, both as a young man growing up in an Italian family, in the movie business, being in several movies like Big Night where food was integral to the story, and also having a CNN travel show about traveling and eating in Italy. It also gave him a chance to talk about how he actually was suffering from cancer the entire time that show was being shot and he apparently like couldn't taste anything Mm. which made me respect him as an actor even more because that show was so fantastic it made me one want to go to italy and two eat with stanley tucci because he looked like he was having such a great time but apparently he couldn't taste anything Mm. i was like oh my gosh you're such a good actor you look like it was all so delicious
0: any facial cancer, I know my dad had a, a couple tumors, and the radiation can muck up your exactly. sense of taste. So, but he yeah. was so
2: jaunty, and the scarves looked yeah. so good. He looked so <laughs> healthy and happy. And it's like, oh, my gosh, you were sick the whole time?
1: Yeah. Um, and his sense of taste was even messed up, even when it started to come back. I, I heard an interview with him on, on Fresh Air, uh, but he said that pretty much everything tasted like garbage. Like, everything. Because his sense of taste was just so messed up. So... Yeah, I want to read that one.
2: That must have been so dismaying as someone who's so food, I mean, it'd be bad for anybody, but such a a foodie, that's like the cruelest punishment. David Chang also has a new cookbook coming out, uh, if you're a Mofuku fan, it's called Cooking at Home. I think his idea of cooking at home and my idea of cooking (laughs) at home are much different, but it's a beautiful, beautiful book and would make a great gift for people, fans of his, or uh, like a fancy coffee table cookbook lover. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also a great one called black food by bryant terry which is gorgeous and has a lot of food from all sorts of african sources from the diaspora so it's not just like oh here's some lots of recipes from the american south it's way broader than that and mm-hmm. uh, i hear it's dynamite we've had some people cook some of the
1: recipes and i hear it's dynamite oh that's a good idea for my son he would like that one very good saying i'm very good What now else? we're we all have? hungry i know ah
2: there's a, a kids' book that I really love that I did want to mention. It's on my brain because we're, as uh, Amy said, we're a couple of days just out from Halloween when we're recording this. It's called Garlic and the Vampire, <laughs> and it's so cute because the vegetables in this story are being terrorized and eaten by a vampire. So who's going to save them? Well, the garlic. garlic's going <laughs> to save them, of course. So garlic, who's not, despite her pungent taste, is not a very brave vegetable, has to find her bravery in order to defeat the vampire. It's fantastic,
1: very cute, Who's
0: and the all author? the oh. all the
2: vegetables have very distinct personalities. It's very cute. <laughs> Who's Did the you author? mention the author? Um, her name is Bree Paulson. Okay, and another not graphic novel, but sort of graphic novel, comic book adjacent. It's called All the Marvels by Douglas Wolk, and I'm so impressed because essentially he's making the case that the stories told in the Marvel comic books starting in the 60s is the longest continuous story in humankind. Hmm. So in order to do this, he read every single one of them. Wow. Or said he did. So he's analyzing all of that to try to determine if indeed that claim is true. And also it helps like tell the history of that time and actually shape the history of that time too. So it sounds fascinating especially for people who've done the deep dive and are like hardcore Marvel people. This is definitely a book for them. As far as kids stuff, my top recommendation is everyone, every human being listening to this podcast needs to listen to The Beatrice Prophecy uh, by Kate DiCamillo. I love all of her books. She's fantastic. She's always is about uplifting lives whether it's animal lives or human lives. But this one is particularly, I feel like it's her masterwork. I really do, which is saying a lot considering the award she's won and the book she's written. Uh, it's a medieval story. It's a fable about a young girl who is prophesied to, to throw, overthrow the king. So she goes into hiding in a monastery and there's a cast of characters, including a goat superhero that I love, <laughs> who helps her in this prophecy. It's amazing. It's wonderful. And it's a great... A book for, like, the child in all of us. Uh, It's something new, but it reads like a story you've always known, which is an amazing gift of it. And I would recommend it for anyone, not just for kids. Like, especially for a person who might be, like, uh, you know, a little crusty on the outside, but you know there's a marshmallow on the inside. Maybe they haven't gotten in touch with their inner child in a while. It'd be perfect. Oh, that one sounds really good. And what's that that. one called again? It's called The Beatrice Prophecy. Now, you said you think everyone should listen. Did you mean that? No, I mean experience in some way oh okay okay (laughs) i'm making a podcast so i'm thinking listen okay okay is that it sam well we didn't really talk about some kentucky things oh
1: okay sorry normally
2: we try to hit a few local things yes a new book that just came out, which was appropriate for Spooky Season, but I anticipate people will still keep buying it for Christmas, is Dark Room in Glitterball City mm. by David Dominey, which is local true crime. And it's a, something he has spent years and years working on and investigating. So hes it's not just something ripped from the headlines kind of thing. He's done the legwork for sure. Also, James Markert, who is a local novelist, he has a new one called The Strange Case of Isaac Crawley, which is also ghost related. It's about a historical thriller about a ghost in the old Macaulay Theater, which is where Theater Square is now.
1: And it's sort of a take on... Jekyll and Hyde
2: I exactly think. right mm-hmm. I think he's and that wearing, one
0: has a very distinctive cover it does yeah, I do like he's wearing covers. his
2: Stevenson uh, love on his sleeve for this one I think mm-hmm. there's also one we're looking forward to called by a local author named Kimberly Martin we've had good success with her previous books the new one's called Doctors and Friends it's about three female doctor friends and their ups and downs in life it comes out soon and we're actually having an event with her on November 17th I got my tickets yesterday yay great job <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of David Sedaris we're happy that he's coming back too. We'll be selling books at that event on December seventeenth.
1: So you all need to go read "Holidays on Ice" <laughs> before that.
2: <laughs> it's always appropriate to read "Holidays on Ice" in December. I feel like yeah. it's yes. good to balance the cloying sweetness with a little bit of. I agree. That's right. Reality. I That's agree.
1: Right. I agree. All right. Well, I think that that was awesome. Awesome. <laughs> That's right. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about what we're reading. We are back with our favorite bookseller, Sam Miller, and with Carrie. Carrie, what are you
0: reading? <laughs> I've got feelings about an audiobook that I listened to.
1: So, so many feelings. So many she feelings. told me about some of them yesterday.
0: Yes. yes. All right. So let me preface this by saying that I love the book Jane Eyre. Love that book. Read it when I was 16. I have read it every decade. Since then, I have taught it multiple times. So we're. You know, I've read it, I would say, at least 10 times. So I found this audiobook called The Wife Upstairs by Rachel Hawkins. And some of the things said reimagining of Jane Eyre. Okay, usually I, I, I prefer to talk about books that I just love. You know, that I gave them four or five stars. Now, I gave this book three stars because for a couple reasons. One, I'm like, you know, it takes a lot of balls to reimagine Jane Eyre. I mean, that takes guts. And two, I have never written a book, so I can't really criticize anybody about their book writing. But there were things about this book that bothered me, but I think they bothered me because I love Jane Eyre. I think that if a person is not like super committed to Jane Eyre, they have maybe heard about Jane Eyre, you know, on their periphery, they would probably enjoy this book and find it interesting. So it's the story of this woman named Jane who has grown up in the foster care system and she gets a job as a dog walker in this kind of like hoity-toity neighborhood in Alabama called Thornfield Estates. All right, so if you are a Jane Eyre lover, then you've already picked up on Jane, Thornfield, foster, orphan type situation. Okay, so the story goes on. She meets a gentleman named Eddie Rochester and his wife, B Rochester, uh, her real name is Bertha Rochester, she has been killed uh, along with her very best friend, Blanche Ingram. So the story goes on and you learn things about Eddie. You learn things about B, also known as Bertha. You learn things about Jane. It wasn't a bad book, but here's the thing. I have an issue with books that are very, like, fundamental stories that are reimagined because I think it's really hard if people have an idea of who that character is to take that story and completely turn it around is very jarring, I think, for readers, especially if they love the book. Again, if Jane Eyre's kind of on your periphery, then you might be like, oh, this is fine. For me, it was very jarring. And so when Amy and I were talking about it yesterday, one of the things Amy said, well... know, Because I really loved the book Circe by Madeline Miller. But Circe tells the story of Circe who, in the Odyssey, you don't get her story. And so that one worked because you don't have a full story. And we interviewed... Jeremy and Hermione Tankard, and they talked about how in their graphic novels, the the protagonist is Yorick, who in Hamlet is a skull. He doesn't have a story because he's a skull. So I think that retellings and reimaginings can work. But they work best if if it's sort of like a periphery character where you don't know the whole backstory. So I'm just struggling with this book. Well, and what you told me
1: was that they made the character of Jane so incredibly annoying, which she wasn't, I think, to most people in the original.
0: Yeah, I listened to the audio book. So not only do you have the story, but you have how the narrator conveys that character. And in this audiobook, she's, she's a liar. I mean, she's just, she's annoying. The voice was annoying. So I didn't love Jane in this story. And in the actual Jane Eyre book, like, I love Jane. I think she's a very strong character. I compared it to, you know, people who love, love, love To Kill a Mockingbird. When Ghost Set a Watchman came out, I was hesitant to read it because there were people who were furious about that book because it completely flipped their idea of who Atticus Finch was. So anyway, that's my TED Talk. Thanks for coming.
1: Makes for an interesting discussion, though. I mean, I think you're right that a reader who doesn't have any background with Jane Eyre, it wouldn't really matter so much. For sure. Mm
2: -hmm. What I like in the reimaginings is, to your point, it's a character we haven't heard from before. So staying on the Jane Eyre bent, I loved Wide Sargasso Sea because we hear Bertha's story, which is not a story that we hear in the original book. I appreciated that. And that's one of the the first ones I can remember, too, because that book is quite old, where there was that telling of the other side, which is very common now. But I wonder what the bent of the author was. Like, I'm just going to riff on it because I like it. Like, in my mind, a reimagining should make us refocus on the story in a different way. Or it can just be fun. Like, Curtis Sittenfield's retelling of Pride and Prejudice that was set in Cincinnati. I mean, that was just fun. But to me, a reimagining needs to have some sort of...
1: Yeah, Like, purpose. why are you?
2: why did you choose this particular work and what are you trying to... Are you skewering it? Or are you sending it up or you know are you telling a different side of it that we haven't heard before i feel like it has to have a purpose or else i'm just kind of wondering why why not just have a character named jane completely separate from something else or maybe it's just going to cement your love for it and you'll it, be like hashtag jane, hashtag jane.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's probably what will happen probably all right well sam what have you been reading lots of stuff i'm sure lots of stuff
2: but also, because it is Halloween, I always try to have a seasonal read, much as Amy does. And I'll usually go back to Shirley Jackson this time of year, at least for some short stories, uh, because I think she's fantastic. I think she's one of the most underrated American authors of the 20th century. She's not unknown by any means, but I feel like there's lots of people that I recommend Shirley Jackson to, and they're like, who? And I'm like, I know you read The Lottery in school. I know you did, because I had to read it like seven times, and I loved it every time. Um but her dark tales, I, I think, are just terrific, and I like to go back to them at Halloween. That's, that's one of my Halloween traditions. Was it a, like a, a book of sh-
1: her short stories? Yes, it's called
2: Dark Tales, and I generally oh, okay. dive Sorry. back into that. Even if I don't read the whole thing, just a few highlights well, gets me right in the, the Halloween feels. Did you ever read
1: the book Shirley? I did. Okay, I read that one last year, I think. It was, it was pretty interesting. I liked it. I did not see the movie, yeah. so I can't speak to the Elizabeth Moss as... Shirley Jackson she she definitely was an interesting personality in real life as well as in her stories absolutely yeah and there's a new collection of her
2: letters out which I've kind of been reading during downtime at work although there isn't really any downtime anymore but kind of dipping into as I can it's edited by her son and it has lots of previously unpublished things lots of letters between her and her parents Mm -hmm. that point to her life which is very interesting if you read both her fiction and she has some nonfiction work about her family, which are so funny and loving. They make like great new mom gifts, which seems completely at odds with the woman who wrote the lottery and all these other dark things. But she uh, was a a very loving and devoted mother and wrote beautifully about it. But the letters are kind of interesting because it, obviously it's kind of like the curation factor that we see now with social media. Like what she was putting out in the essays about her, charming life in the dilapidated farmhouse in the middle of nowhere makes for a great essay but then the letters kind of show the the the, the difficult struggles behind it uh, which as a like Shirley Jacksonite I really appreciated that that peek into her, her real life mm-hmm. all, right. all right Amy
0: what are you going to talk about you alluded to it I did earlier.
1: so I read a book called this close to okay by Lisa Cross Smith and this is a novel that came out in the spring, I think, by an award-winning author who lives here in Louisville, but her work has gotten widespread praise. And this book was named a most anticipated book for the summer by several media outlets, like I think Oprah Magazine and Marie Claire. And this book is peripherally related to her last novel, Whiskey and Ribbons. There's a character in that book that is the main character in this book. And I would describe her writing generally as like cozy literary fiction. Her characters may be going through lots of trauma, and yet she's able to write about it in a way that sort of feels like a hug. And she says in the afterwards that she as an author likes to try to make her characters feel better, even though, you know, they're going through death of a spouse or death of a child or, you know, things like that. So in this book, the first scene that we have is of our two main characters. There's a man standing on a bridge. And this all is all set in Louisville, Kentucky. And he looks like he's ready to jump off and kill himself. And his name is Emmett. And then there's a woman named Tally, and she's in her car driving by. She sees him. She stops, and she talks him off of the ledge. She takes him to a coffee shop to help him calm down. And then a weekend happens. She invites him to stay with her for one night, to sleep on her sofa because he doesn't have anywhere else to go. And then one night becomes two nights and until they have spent the whole weekend together. And what we discover is that Tally is by profession a therapist and we find this out fairly early on in the book, but she doesn't disclose this because she doesn't want to frighten Emmett. And Emmett has some secrets of his own that he doesn't want to disclose. But what happens is that they gradually tell each other over this weekend, some of the emotional trauma that they both have experienced. And in the process in a very short compact period of time they try to heal each other. This book is set during the last weekend of October. And that is when I read this. I just finished it this morning. And it's a great seasonal read, although it's not scary. It's more cozy in the way that October is with sweaters and crisp weather and a cup of tea and you know, good smelling candles and soft blankets and all those kinds of things. And it made me think about, has there been a person in my life that when I met them, I was immediately drawn to them in such a short period of time? And does that really happen? I liked that it happened in this book and I think that Lisa Cross Smith does a tremendous job with character development and with the setting. I don't know if I, I've had that person. I definitely have had people that I was immediately drawn to as friends but sometimes those relationships didn't end up turning out very well. I liked it in this book. I'm not sure that I would like it and it, it's never worked out for me that well in, in real life. I will definitely be reading more of her work. I've read Whiskey and Ribbons. She had a collection of short stories that came out last year, right before the pandemic, that I have. I haven't read those yet, but I'm definitely going to dive in. But I do really enjoy her. I'm so glad that
2: you talked about this book, because I got to interview Lisa a month or two ago for a video series of authors love indie bookstores. And so I was representing the indie bookstore, and she was the author, obviously. She was terrific. She used the word cozy more than one time, so I feel like you totally have your finger on her pulse. Well,
1: I didn't come up with right. that. or characters talk yes, about it yes. in the book all the time about, you know, like Emmett just loves the feel of her house. You know, it's, uh, what's that Danish word? Hygge? H-Y-G-G-E. I mean, she talks about Huga in that book. So I mean, it's a big part. And it was kind of the case in Whiskey and Ribbons too. I didn't feel it as much in that as I did in this. I don't know if it's because this is set in October. And I feel like October is sort of a huga month. Yes. You know, can be. <laughs> a huga <hygge> month. <laughs> uh, if you're doing it right. <laughs> if you're doing it right, it could be a huga month. And so you were saying some of those books that are sort of literary fiction but can be feel good. And yes. I feel like this book could definitely be that. Absolutely. The only thing is, I don't know that I would categorize it as a grandma book.
0: Yes, there's no. a little bit of sex in no, here. No, agreed, yes. Yeah. Um, there's Depends th- on who your grandma is. Well,
1: that's, that's true. true. If you you know, not my grandma, but maybe <laughs> some people's grandma. But I you think know. you're
2: right, thanks. And we talked about that. And she was definitely said that was one of her goals as a writer. Uh, but she has a new one coming in the spring. It's set <gasps> in Paris. Okay. Ooh. So yeah, you, you can have that to look forward to, too.
0: Yeah, so I would recommend
2: it. Cool. All,
0: All right. right. Well, let's take a short break. And when we come back, we have a game prepared for Sam that we are very excited about.
1: We are back with Sam Miller, and we decided to do something a little special with our third section today. So last holiday season, when you came and we talked about holiday books, you disclosed to us that you hate the Nutcracker. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Nutcrackers are the clowns of Christmas. Right. Which I think about all the time (laughs) when I see Nutcrackers. And I think we discussed that I have a a very large Nutcracker collection. I love the Nutcracker. So our special segment today is questions about Nutcrackers to make Sam cry. (laughs) And so we have some (laughs) trivia questions about Nutcrackers, and we want to see if you can get any of these right.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Where and when did the Nutcracker Ballet first premiere? This is multiple choice. A, 1892, St. Petersburg, Russia. B, 1872, Budapest, Hungary. Or C, 1882,
1: Kiev, Ukraine. I'm going to say A. Yeah, oh, you got it right. Woo-hoo. Next question. In what famous collection of Middle English stories was a Nutcracker alluded to?
2: Canterbury Tales?
1: Whoa! Wow! Two for two, Sam! Okay. Which story
0: is it in? Oh, I, don't that know. I don't know. Oh, don't that that would have that <laughs> required more Google searching than I was going to put into this quiz. True or false? The Nutcracker Ballet is based on a children's story. True.
1: Eh, false. I could remember which came first. The, Chicken or the egg. No, it is not. Although, I can't tell you what it was based on because I didn't write that down.
2: <laughs> but it is decidedly not a children's story. Okay. Well, is it decidedly not a children's story in the same way fairy, the original fairy tales are decidedly yes. not a children's yes. story? Yes. It's like, yes. Gotcha. That's right.
1: hmm What were the earliest objects used as a nutcracker by nomadic people 8,000 years ago? A rock? Yeah. Well, <laughs> two rocks. I'll give you credit. We'll give
0: it to you. Yay! Yay! <laughs> All right, what king of England gave a nutcracker to his wife whose head he later cracked, as it were? Henry VIII? Wow, you are just knocking these yeah, out. I know. Henry Even VIII, that... a.k.a. best husband ever. I know. <laughs> what word referring to these Christmas delights was used in a dictionary of the Brothers Grimm in 1830? A. Nussknocker. I'm trying to make myself sound German. B. Schreckenspenst. C, Teufel, or D, all of the above, according to Sam? I feel like the answer is pointing me to D. Yes. Well, so Nussknacker is German for nutcracker. Schreckespenst means boogeyman. Oh, yeah. And Teufel means devil. (laughs) All of the above. (laughs) So D word. Hard all of the above.
1: (laughs) D word. Okay, so this last one is more personal. So I have quite a large Nutcracker collection of my own. And which one is my favorite? A, a standard toy soldier. B, a pizza maker. C, a mariachi player, including the big hat. Or D, Charles Dickens. This is the toughest one.
2: (laughs) Given your extravagant gesture for the big hat (laughs) and your love of food,
1: I feel like that might have been a clue for C. Hmm. Well, really, I like all of these. I'll give it to you. Even though it might be B, the pizza maker, because my son, when he was, it was my son's favorite when he was little, because he always said he wanted to be a pizza maker. Well, I feel
2: like if you're a true collector, the more arcane ones are probably going to be the ones you would brag about anyway. (laughs) And I can't say I've ever seen one. Not that I try to look that closely.
0: Oh, well, you'll get pictures
2: this
1: year. (laughs) Oh, goody. (laughs) I do have one of Charles Dickens, though, where he's kind of dressed up like the Christmas Carol that someone gave me. I think nutcrackers are fun. She thinks they're the clowns of Christmas, but it's it's all good in the end. So yep. that's I
0: right. Think. I think she did really well, and she didn't shed one single tear. No, so. no. I am gripping the side of
1: the <laughs> chair, though. I was kind of hoping that this would be, like, exposure therapy. <laughs> so maybe you could get through the Christmas season and see a nutcracker, and it wouldn't freak you out, but.
2: i just divert my eyes. Okay. I mean, I just, I'm not at the screaming phase, okay. but I, I just divert my eyes Okay.
0: All right. Well, Sam, as always, it has been so fun. We don't have a prize for you. If we did, it would be a nutcracker. And you would have <laughs> not won it anyway. So Fair. That's true. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us.
2: Thank you all. And uh, happy holidays to everyone.
1: Thanks for joining us this week. Follow us on Facebook at the Perks of Being a Book Lover or on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod to see what we're up to. For show notes for any episode, go to our website at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com. The show notes are also included on the description of the episode on your podcast player. If you like what we're doing with the show, tell a friend. Word of mouth is one of the best ways to help people find us. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there live or in archives at forwardradio.org.